From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. that you've joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that will give insights into the various aspects of our Lord's temporal ministry, from His teaching and miracles to His atoning death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Today's devotional is entitled Perfection and Preservation. The text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. What will he do? He will sanctify us wholly. See the previous verse. He will carry on the work of purification till we are perfect in every part. He will preserve our whole spirit and soul and body blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will not allow us to fall from grace nor come under the dominion of sin. What great favors are these! Well may we adore the giver of such unspeakable gifts. Who will do this? the Lord who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of death and sin into eternal life in Christ Jesus. Only he can do this. Such perfection and preservation can only come from the God of all grace. Why will he do it? Because he is faithful, faithful to his own promise, which is pledged to save the believer, faithful to his Son, whose reward it is that his people shall be presented to him faultless, faithful to the work which he has commenced in us by our effectual calling. It is not their own faithfulness, but the Lord's own faithfulness on which the saints rely.
Every so often here on Let the Bible Speak, we've mentioned Q&A with Alan Cairns. These are video clips of Dr. Cairns giving biblical answers to a variety of questions. These include, why did Christ have to become a man? Why does a good God allow suffering? Or, what is the unpardonable sin? In all, Dr. Cairns responds to over 50 such concerns. All of these video clips are available on the ltbsradio.com website. In addition, we're happy to be able to provide you, free of charge, a DVD containing all of these video portions, about five hours of guidance from God's Word for problems which face the 21st century Christian. You may have a copy simply by requesting it. Just ask for the DVD, Q&A with Alan Cairns. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. Or if you wish, you may write us at Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Here's an excellent way to provide scriptural answers to family and friends regarding the challenging questions facing believers in this day. this edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of a message called The Lord of the Harvest. The events recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 9 and 10, illustrate the Lord's heart of love for the multitudes, whom he saw as lost sheep wandering without a shepherd. From his divine perspective, their greatest need was spiritual, the salvation of their souls. The harvest he spoke of is the end of the world the time when the eternal fate of all men will be determined by whether they have received Christ or not. The great need is for more laborers to reap God's harvest. Now Dr. Cairns will continue this message, The Lord of the Harvest. God needs laborers. And don't be shocked that I say God needs them. Not that there's a lack in God, but Jesus said to his disciples, Go out and you'll find an ass, and say to its keepers, the Lord hath need of him. The Son of God says, go and tell them I need that donkey. Well, now, surely, it's not unorthodox of me to say, the Lord hath need of a few more. The world may think is no better than donkeys. 
But what does that matter? The Lord is needing laborers. Pray the Lord of the harvest. And that's really, I haven't started to preach. I'm just getting to my text. That's the great person, the Lord of the harvest. Pray to him. Now, I think that title actually belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I say that because he shows in the verses that immediately follow by his actions that he is the Lord of the harvest. He says, pray for laborers, and immediately what does he do? He sends forth laborers into the harvest field. He sends forth in the first part of Matthew chapter 10 the twelve disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I want us to think this morning for a few minutes as we come to a close on the Lord of the harvest, our view of the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture. Let me say this, that as the Lord of the harvest, the Lord Jesus Christ kept his eye on the spiritual state of perishing souls. We see this in the passage we have already mentioned in chapter 9, 36 and 37. Gazing on the multitude who thronged his ministry, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, lost, wandering, unprotected, and in grave danger. Now, I hope you see how how strong my efforts are to stay within some time constraints this morning. Those are four points that beg for a preacher to preach them. This is how he looked on people, sheep without a shepherd, lost, wandering, unprotected, and in grave danger. And then he saw them as a harvest, change of figure entirely, getting away from the sheep now to a field of waving grain, He sees them as a harvest that had to be reaped in a very brief period of time. Now, this is Christ's eye upon the multitude. As the Lord of the harvest, this is how he's looking on people. He's getting their spiritual state firmly in view. And there was a very different view from the view that others had. If you think of that crowd, just as it would be today, That crowd represented all the usual ambitions, all the usual plans, all the usual desires, and all the usual fears that men entertain. If you had been able to go into the crowd, you'd have found some, uh, and uh, they were full of pride. They had things that they thought they could be proud about. Others had things they thought they should be ashamed of. There were people, just as there would be in this crowd this morning, taken up with the challenge of life with its works, with its needs, with its opportunities. Every one of them had his own way of measuring success. Each person there viewed himself in his own peculiar manner. But I think I'm safe in saying this. None of them looked on themselves as the Lord Jesus Christ did. They focused on the physical. They focused on the temporal. They focused on the immediate. He focused on the spiritual, and he focused on the eternal, and he was right. The terms that he used to describe them are terms, I think, that seem to have burned themselves into his soul. He used them frequently. He spoke of them as sheep, and he spoke of them as a harvest. Think of the sheep for a moment. 
He saw them lost and wandering. No doubt, with Isaiah 53 in mind, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. He saw them with that prophetic vision. I think he also probably had Ezekiel 34 in mind when he saw these sheep as being abused by false shepherds. He couldn't help but think that. He looked at the wandering sheep of the house of Israel, and he saw people who were supposed to be their shepherds, but they were men who were self-centered, self-serving, and they were destroying the souls of men and women. And if I take his own words in Luke 15, he saw these sheep as needing a true shepherd to go and search for them until he would find them and bring them safely home. And it was to that work that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself, even at the cost of his own life. John chapter 10 says, In the words of Christ himself, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. When he looked at these men, he didn't see rich men and poor men. He didn't see educated men and ignorant men. He didn't see the cultured and the uncultured. Oh, no doubt the Lord Jesus could appreciate those distinctions as well as anybody. But the truth is, to him, they were nothing. Isn't it strange that we get ourselves so tied up in knots about things that will perish and they don't mean anything? We divide people by color. We divide people by class. We divide people by culture. We divide people by creed. We divide people by riches or lack thereof. We divide them by education. We have them all segmented. And this is what we like and this is what we don't like. And it's just a carnal, wretched, godless way that our wicked hearts have of consigning the vast majority of men to hell while we do nothing about it. The Lord Jesus wasn't interested in those things. He saw them as sheep, wandering, lost, foolish, and perishing. That's how he saw them. And you and I can be mighty glad that he saw them that way, for that's how he saw you and that's how he saw me. And he came searching, even at the cost of his own life. What a price he paid to win these sheep, to bring us home. This is when I wish I could sing. None of the ransomed ever knew How deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that our Lord passed through, ere he found this sheep that was lost. He saw them as sheep, and he set out to reach them and bring them home. And of course, he saw them as a harvest. That was another theme that was constantly in the mind of the Lord Jesus. 
He speaks of the world in Matthew 13 as a field. He says, the field is the world. Look on the field. It's white already to harvest. Back in Matthew 13, he tells probably one of his most famous parables of all, the parable of the tares and the wheat. He likens his own people to the wheat sown in the field, and then the, the old enemy comes, the devil comes, and he sows the tares among the wheat, and they're both growing together. Just to show you that angels can make mistakes, the reapers say, well, we pull them out. Pull out the tares. He says, no. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And then at the end, the reapers will come and they'll take out the tares. Don't want to get into eschatology. By the way, you will see that at the end of the world. It's not the saints out first, it's the tares out first. But we'll not get into that this morning. It takes the tares out bundles them up to everlasting damnation. That's the harvest of the wicked. While the wheat are gathered into God's barns, that's the harvest of the godly. The Lord Jesus, as he thought of the, of the men and women of his day, as a harvest field, he had his eye upon the real harvest, the end of the world, as he calls it, in Matthew 13, 39, the harvest is the end of the world. And this is the perspective he had, and it's the perspective he wants us to have. First and foremost, he wants you and me to have this about our own souls. The Lord Jesus constantly challenged men to think about eternity. Even in the great text in the love of God in John 3:16, he introduces the thought of eternity. They shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to talk about people who perish eternally because they reject the light of life. He wants this eternal perspective in view. And he it is who challenges us. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? I said a moment ago that the Lord Jesus was not interested in the peculiar differences that men introduce among themselves. What would it profit you if you had everything that men count valuable today? What would it profit you if you reach the heights of all the attainments you think are excellent. What would it profit you if you lose your soul? What would it profit? Think of the harvest. The harvest of the life you're living. What will it be? Be not deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's the perspective Christ wants us to have. What will the harvest be? It's another old hymn. We may even have it in our hymnal. I'm not quite sure. After the sowing of sin is all done. Then there's this repetitive question throughout the hymn. What will your reaping be? Good question. 
What is the harvest of the life you are now living? What is the harvest of the attitude you now have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel? What is the harvest for what you are doing with Jesus? That's the question. What will your reaping be? One of the most awful texts in all of Scripture is found in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20, where the men of Judah lament, the harvest is past. The summer has ended, and we are not saved. Bring that into New Testament terms. We are not saved. The summertime of God's moving among souls has come and gone. The summertime when others have been made ready for heaven. The summertime when the influences of grace and gospel were abounding all around me. The summertime of opportunity. The summertime of gospel invitation. The summertime is gone. The harvest, the end of the world is past. We're not saved. I want to tell you, men and women, you'd better get that perspective in time because if you ever live to that stage where the harvest is past and you're still not saved, there's not a preacher to preach to you. And even if there were, there's no conviction of the Spirit of God to apply it. There is no opportunity. There is no invitation. It is eternal damnation. That's the harvest. The Lord Jesus had that in mind. That's the perspective he wants us to have for our own souls. And that's the perspective he wants us to have for the souls of others. As will be clear when you think that not only did he keep his eye on the spiritual state of perishing souls, but as the Lord of the harvest, he instructed his disciples to care for souls. Verse 38 says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. There are two great issues that he here commends to us, one of perception and the other of prayer. He instructs us in spiritual perception. He says, See the world as a harvest field. The Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, founded by Dr. Alan Cairns. Let the Bible Speak is also heard in many parts of the world through the international radio outreach of Let the Bible Speak, produced in Northern Ireland. The Free Presbyterian Church stands without apology for the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, emphasizing preaching that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and is militant in its stand against the ecumenical apostasy and the efforts of the world to infiltrate the church. 
For further information about the Free Presbyterian Church, you may email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. Or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Also, we encourage you to visit the website of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America at www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 